Let's take our Bibles, please, if you would. We're doing good time. And why don't you go with me to Second Chronicles 26. Second Chronicles 26. We've been going between Second Kings and Second Chronicles in our studies of kings and prophets. And tonight we're in Second Chronicles 26 because it gives just a, a lot more thorough uh, understanding of the of the king we're going to visit tonight, King Uzziah, Second Chronicles 26. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, please share your Bible with them. That would be a blessing. How many enjoying the new chairs? Well, I think we'll sell the chairs. That didn't sound really happy. How many enjoying the chairs? How many would like to have the hard chairs instead? Yeah, I didn't think so. Okay, let's enjoy the chairs. Remember now, the chairs are all the same. Amen. You don't have to compete going different places. They're all the same. I need some people in the front row. There's a lot of front row chairs. So come up here and meet with us here. My spit goes far, goes closer right there than it does back there. Amen. So come up to the front there. Second Chronicles 26, verse 1. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the room of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah. And after that, the king slept with his fathers. Sixteen years old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned fifty and two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah did. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Now go down with me if you would. To verse 15. And he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad. But notice the last phrase. For he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Tonight I want you to study, with, go with me to the study tonight of this man by the name of Uzziah. We're going to look at a study entitled The Rise and Fall of Uzziah. We're going to see the rise and the fall of Uzziah. The Father, bless your word. Sanctify thy people through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Cleanse us from all filthiness of flesh and superfluity of naughtiness that we may receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save souls. Father, your people have worked hard all, all day long and through this week. Many have traveled long distances. Father, tonight we need you to feed our souls. We need the breath of heaven to give us refreshment. We realize tonight, according to Second, uh, Second Corinthians 4, 6, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Tonight we need to hear from you. Enable me, Lord, to have the fullness of the Spirit and the presence of God and your, your power tonight as we preach and teach from your word. Blessed through this study, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How strong do you consider yourself to be? This year was the 41st contest of the world's strongest man contest that was held in Manila in the Philippines. In this competition, they had feats or events, including over the, how much weight can a person lift as an overhead press, deadlifting of weights, pulling of a large passenger bus with a, with a, with a pulley on the man's back, lifting a jeep, and several other incredible feats to test of strength. Of all the contestants, and all of them very strong, this year's winner was a man from Ice, the, uh, the, the island of Iceland. His name was Halpor Julius, nicknamed Thor Jornsson. And this man, nicknamed Thor Jornsson, beat out his competition by as much by a widespread of six and a half points. When you consider, and I was reading up some of the feats this man did, for instance, he, he uh, military pressed, I think, 470 pounds. 
I think he deadlifted something like 900 pounds. The man stands a towering 6 feet 9 inches and is rock solid 390 pounds. When you consider all the feats this man did, you look at this guy and you wonder, man, he must be the world's strongest man. And tonight we're looking not necessarily at the world's strongest man, but we are looking at a man where as we read through Second Chronicles 26, repeatedly tells us in his biography, this man was mighty, this man was strong. He falls within the line of men we're studying tonight who are kings and, and priests. We're looking at a man by the name of King Uzziah. Uzziah's name, if you don't have this in your notes, you might want to write this down. Uzziah's name means my strength is in Jehovah. You want to remember that tonight. My strength is in Jehovah. But we see tonight a strong man who un- unfortunately became weak. Instead of being like what the Bible says, out of weakness was made strong, we're going to see tonight a strong man, strong in the sense of all that he did, who became weak. Notice three things about this man as we look at the rise and fall of Uzziah. First of all, notice in verses 1 to 15 with me tonight, his successful uh, rise. We're going to see the successful rise of this man by the name of Uzziah. Now, Uzziah... Uh, succeeded his father Amaziah to the throne. Last week we spent some time looking at King Amaziah. Remarkably, in verse 3, we see two things. Number one, he was 16 years old when he came to the throne. Number two, he reigned for 52 years. He's one of the youngest kings that ever came to the throne, and he's one of the few kings that reigned for a very long time. In fact, he may have reigned the longest of all the kings at 52 years. He had a good rearing from his mother and from his father. This man is a man that we see was very successful. We notice his successful rise. Notice in verses 4 and 5, the first thing we see is this man's accountability. It tells us some things that stand out in our mind to remind you and me about our lives. He was accountable with his life. Notice it says, He did that which was right in the, in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah did. And notice this in verse 5. He sought God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding in the visions of God and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Now a couple of things stand out to me. First of all, in verse 4, it says, He did that which is right in the sight of the Lord. You know, for if you think about it for just a minute, he took very seriously at age 16 and going forward for many years, that whatever he did, he took into account God was watching him. And that reminds me tonight that God is watching us. God has his eyes on you and I. God was watching him carefully. He was concerned that whatever he did, he wanted to please the Lord. Then notice verse 5, it says, And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding the vision of God. Zechariah, as I said here, is one of the prophets. He may have been a key prophet in the life of this man, Uzziah. Uzziah was a man who had understanding of God's visions. God gave him multiple visions about the things of God. Visions that were given to a prophet during that time was an open revelation of God's word that was to be transmitted to his people. And the Bible says as long as Zechariah was receiving these visions of God for his people, uh, this man by the name of King Uzziah, he sought the Lord God during those days. And the Bible says as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And I think there are many here tonight, this is the cream of the crop of our church, I think there are many here tonight that can testify that they put God first in their life, and as they put God first, they can say, just like Zechari- like this man uh, Uzziah, that they knew that God that God's hand has been upon them. There's something to be said about Matthew 6.33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And I'm just saying tonight, we see this man is an accountability. I want to encourage you tonight, no matter what stage of life you're at, no matter whether you're a new Christian or a seasoned Christian, whether or not you are a college student or a high school student, or whether or not you're someone that's, that's retired, that it should be your goal, your ambition to seek
seek the Lord always with your heart, to delight thyself always in the Lord, that he should give you the desires of your heart. We see the accountability of this man. He did that which was right in the sight of God. But notice something else. We not only see his accountability, which you notice with me, Uzziah's accomplishments. This man did much during his lifetime. Notice some things the Bible tells us. In verse 6, it says he went forth and he warred against the Philistines. He took to task the Philistines at war. The Philistines were the nemesis and the enemy against Israel. The Philistines represent, if you would, their picture of the world. And the Bible says he went forth against them. And notice this, he broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod, and he built cities about Ashdod and about among the Philistines. Now, when you study the kings of Judah... This man, Uzziah, did something the other kings didn't do. He was extremely successful against the Philistines. Here's a man who took them to task. He went to battle with them. He broke down the walls of three of their key cities. And around those same cities, he built cities around them. There were cities of Judah. He's basically saying, I'm not only not scared of you, I'm going to put my own cities around here to challenge you. This man was great in his military accomplishments. Notice verses 9 to 15. The Bible says in verse 9, Moreover, uh, Uzziah built towers uh, to, in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and the turning of the walls, and he fortified them. Also, he built towers in the desert and digged many wells, for he had much cattle both in the low country and in the plains. Husbandmen also and vine dressers in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved husbandry. Now, here's a man. He was building towers. He was digging many wells. He had much cattle in the in the plains. He had he had the vineyards in abundance there that he that he built out. And then it says in verse 11, Moreover, Uzziah had a host of fighting men that went out to war by bands, according to the number of their account, by the hand of Jael, the scribe, and Masariah, the ruler, under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. Then notice verses 12 and 13 as it talks about the numbering of his military. The whole number of the chief of the fathers of the mighty men of valor were 2,600. That's remarkable. David had many mighty men we read about in First Chronicles 11 and 12. But this man Uzziah was such a strategist, even as young as 16 and 17 years of age, the Bible says he had 2,600 men that were chief over all these men. And then he says, under those men in verse 13, under their hand was an army, 300,000, 7,500, 7,500 that made more, notice, with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. God meticulously wanted us to know how big his military might was. At 307,500 mighty men, 2,600 men over that. And then it says in verse 14, Uzziah prepared for them throughout all the hosts, shields and spears and helmets, habergens, bows and slings to cast stones. He committed an immense amount of money to his military budget to make sure his men were equipped with state-of-the-art weapons. Notice he built catapults. He was kind of, uh, if you would, ingenious in that sense. He built catapults in verse 15. He made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones with them. We see a man who was extremely successful in his accomplishment. He was successful in every endeavor. He was successful in his inventions. He was successful in pushing things for here is a man who epitomized success and rising very quickly success during those early years of his reign we see this man in his accountability we see him in his accomplishments but notice something else notice the acknowledgments this man received in verse 8 the bible says about the people on the outside the ammonites which were their enemies they gave gift to uzziah and his name spread abroad 
even to the entering in of Egypt. So if you can imagine a map with me, here's Judah up here in Jerusalem, and way down here in the south is Egypt. Even his name was so, he was very held in very high repute. His name was very well known all the way even down here to the, to the place of the entering in of Egypt there. I mean, his name was well, in the north and the south and the east and the west. Everyone knew about this man. Verse 18 again tells us something interesting about him. For he strengthened himself exceedingly. He gave painstaking care, making sure that he was, he was well fortified in his military. He was well fortified in his farming. He was well fortified in his agriculture. He was well fortified in his economy. He strengthened himself exceedingly in all of these things. Then notice again verse 15. And he made it in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. This man was greatly acknowledged. His name spread abroad. Everyone knew who he was. He had a good name for himself there. And notice the key thought we see in all of this is found in verse 5. More important than all the things mentioned about him, notice the most key thing about his successful rise was this. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Now here's a question tonight. Here's a question. How much are you seeking the Lord? To what degree are you seeking God? I mean, it's easy for us to sit here at an independent Baptist church and write down, yeah, here's Uzziah, he sought the Lord. But the quick question tonight is, how much are we seeking the Lord in our hearts, in our lives? I mean, are we seeking God in every detail of our life? Do we commit everything to Him? Do we claim Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, but forget about verses 7 and 8 as well there too? Where the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall bring it to pass. The Bible says, Be not wise in thine own eyes, but fear the Lord and depart from evil. I wonder tonight, are we, are, do, we, do we commit everything to God? Do we trust in Him for everything to what, 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 what we need in our lives? The Bible says, As He sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. How much are we seeking the Lord? And what do you attribute any success you have to? Do you attribute it to your knowledge? Do you attribute it to your education? Do you attribute it to the fact of who you know? Or do you attribute everything that you've ever done to the fact that God's hand is on your life? Last night we had our San Francisco midweek service and we've been going through the book of Proverbs as we did here previously and we're in Proverbs 22 and we talked about, uh, the, about the sluggard in chapter 22 last night and, and as we looked at that we kind of ended by looking at Proverbs 22:29. And Proverbs 22:29 gives us what we should what we should be uh, instead of being a sluggard. And it says this in Proverbs 22:29: Seest thou a man diligent in his business, he shall stand before kings and not before obscure men. And a man diligent in his business is a man not only is that works diligently and, and is and is hardworking, but I believe is a man who realizes that work honors God and God honors work, and he realizes hard work is blessed of God there. And so tonight we see this man Uzziah. He was successful in many ways. But the key to his success, the reason why he had, a, he had an incredible rise to success was because he sought the Lord. And I just want to encourage you tonight, if God is not foremost in your heart, would you decide tonight Jesus Christ would be preeminent in your heart? Would you decide tonight you're going to seek the Lord first? Would you decide tonight you're going to put God first? You're not going to trust in sales schemes and business schemes and, and critical management and all those things and the critical path method of success and those things. I think what we really have to do tonight is really determine our hearts that we, we can get all the training we want, but we must first and foremost put God first in what we do. So we see this man's successful rise. Notice number two, we see a sinful ruin. Now we're going to see the steps that led to Uzziah's downfall. God took care in an entire chapter devoted to Uzziah's life that we might learn not to follow that same pathway where he failed. And I want you to notice verses 15 and 16, the latter part of verse 15. His name spread far abroad. He was very famous. Everybody knew about him. 
for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God, and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. This man which stands out here tonight as we look at verse 15 and 16. He was marvelously helped until he was strong. And when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. I want you to see some things about this man. How his strength became his weakness. How his assets became his liabilities. How the same things that made him successful were the same things that led to his downfall. Because he got to this place in his life where there was a crossover point. And the crossover point was he no longer sought the Lord. He thought that he he was the one that got him to that place. And he thought he was the one that deserved the praise. And we want to see some things about that. Notice, first of all, one of the things we see about his sinful ruin is found in verse 16. We find that Uzziah was a conceited man. He was conceited. It says he was strong, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. You want to underline those words. His heart was lifted up to his destruction. He was proud. Proud and he was conceited. He was blinded by his accomplishments. He was blinded by his accumulations. He was blinded by all the acknowledgments he got and all the gifts that he got. Listen, beloved, we can get to a place, if we hear too much praise, uh, if we hear so much praise about ourselves, we start believing the things people say about us. And I want to tell you tonight, don't believe everything everybody says is good about you. Always remind yourself, if it wasn't for God, we'd be in serious trouble. Amen? And the Bible tells us that uh, that the praise we receive of ourselves in Proverbs tells us it's, it's a, a test to determine what kind of person we really are. And this man was blinded by all these acknowledgments and by all these accomplishments. When he came to the place of being 16 years old and coming to the throne, he didn't know nothing about being king. He had no idea what was in the inventory of things that he had. He had no idea how to read a balance sheet. He had no idea how to read an income statement. He had no idea how, how to count his army. He had no idea what was the capability of bows and arrows and catapults and all that. He had no idea who the strong people were in his nation. But over time, he gave himself with a humble heart to learn and to be a diligent student. And as he learned, he started increasing knowledge and he started having enthusiasm and he sought out to do his job very well, but he got to the crossover point where he became blinded by all these things that were going on in his life. Beloved, I want to tell you tonight, you can have so much success and you can have so many good things happen and you can be, a, you can be like, a, like a sports team that can go 5-0 and and 10-0 and 25-0 and 30-0. You start believing, thinking that you're invincible and unbeatable and nobody can stop you and you get to the place where you really think you're hot stuff. And this man got to the place where he believed all of those things there. He believed he was unstoppable. He believed he was deserving of more as we read this. He threw aside the need for accountability because he didn't want to be accountable. And beloved, I want to tell you one of the saddest things that can happen in our life when we hit those crossover points when we can get all the straight A's and the A pluses and we can get the salary increases and we can get the promotions in our, in our job and we can get all these accolades and we can knock down the big deal and we can, we can win all the souls and we can fill up a bus and do all those things. Listen, we better be careful when we get to all those, those places of all those accomplishments that, that we can be so blinded by those things. That we get to places and thinking, I don't need to be accountable to anybody. And I remind you tonight, we do need to be accountable. We need to be accountable to God. He held the highest office of the land as king. And I'll tell you, as we get to verse 15 and 16, he epitomizes what we call in political terms power abuse. He didn't think anybody would dare to stop him, he was that arrogant.
And he was so caught up with power, there's one thing he didn't have that he wanted. Would you notice that? Verse 16, he imagined going into the temple and passing by the laver where they would wash your hands and walking right past the high priest and the priest and approaching the golden altar where the altar, which was also called the altar of incense, where incense was offered and burned morning and evening, incense being a representation, a picture of the prayers of God's people. And he just decided upon himself, you know what? Nobody's going to tell me that I can't do that. Nobody has to tell me that I have to be part of the sons of Aaron. I'm just going to do it because I'm king. I'm going to do it because I deserve to do it. And he went there, and the Bible says there, he transgressed against the Lord. You want to underline that word transgress? We talked about some of the words that the, a few Sundays ago about the words that the Bible uses to describe sin. And the word for transgression means to cross a forbidden line. And God is very careful that as he gave us the word, he just didn't say he sinned. It didn't say he just committed iniquity. He says he transgressed. He crossed the forbidden line. The Bible says he transgressed against the Lord. And beloved, whenever God is a commandment, God lays down a law. And we go, we cross over it and deciding that we don't care what other people think. That transgression, we always sin against God. He went there to burn incense upon the altar of incense. He wanted to perform the office of the priest, which he was not qualified or allowed to do. He had no calling. He had no designation. He could not prove his lineage was from the sons of Aaron. He was filled with such conceited ambition. Beloved, when we're conceited, we think we're the best. When we're conceited, we don't accept any other authority. When we're conceited, we run ahead of the leadership. We're considered, when we're conceited, we think we have a hand up on everyone else. We're conceited, we do what we want and nobody tells us what to do. We're conceited, we make our own rules. We're conceited, we cross those boundaries that are forbidden. I remind you, it's not about Eve over in Genesis chapter 3. God had one boundary in the Garden of Eden, that beautiful place called paradise. They had every fruit tree you could think of. They had access to everything. God just says, one tree I don't want you to touch. That one tree, you leave it alone. The moment you eat of that one tree, he said, you should surely die. And they lived in an environment, a place where they were made just like God. They didn't know what death was all about. All they knew was immortality. All they knew was the fact they would never die. And so the whole concept of death never, never just really, they really couldn't grasp it. And one day as the serpent came, he came to beguile Eve and held a conversation with her. And she made the mistake a lot of us do. When the devil starts talking to us in a, in a, in a soft tone, we talk back to the devil. I'm going to remind you tonight, when the devil starts to whisper here, you need to run from the devil. Amen. And she entered a conversation, but the part of the conversation that got her, got her in the wrong place. He said, you know, God does know that if you eat of this fruit, you shall be just like God's. You'll be just like God's. You'll be just like him. And God knows, he, God knows you're not going to die. You're going to be just like him. The devil was telling her uh, lies and deceiving her. And he put in her heart this conceited ambition the Bible tells us in Genesis 3, she looked at the fruit. She thought it was good to be eaten. She looked, she coveted, she saw and she took and she ate. Listen, all of that was driven by conceited ambition. When you cross a forbidden line, what drives you there is conceited ambition. When you don't want to follow the rules, what drives you there is conceited ambition. When you become rebellious as a young person against mom and dad, you're driven by conceited ambition. And that was what's going on in Uzziah's heart there. When we're conceited, we're boastful in our talk. We're conceited, we're cocky and brass. 
When we're conceited, we look down on other people and we get to the place where we, we start thinking in classes of, of people there. We get like they, what James talked about, James chapter 2, we become respecter of persons there. When we're conceited, we despise uh, correction. When we're conceited, we have an overly inflated opinion of ourselves and think of everyone is lower, lower than us. And listen tonight, a conceited disposition is the steps leading to the sins of presumption. Verses 16 to 19, which you notice with me, we see the sin of presumption in action. He presumed to take on the office of the priest. He presumed to walk past the priest and take the incense and set it on fire. He presumed to walk past the laver. He presumed to walk past uh, the, the, the high priest Azariah and the 80 men that were there. He presumed to walk past them. He presumed that there was nobody in the land of Judah and the city of Jerusalem would tell him not to do that. He was usurping spiritual authority. He was taking upon himself priestly duties that did not belong to him. He was doing all this because he presumed upon himself. I'm asking tonight this one question. What is the sin of pride doing in all of our hearts because his fathers remember last week we saw that his father was guilty of the very same pride the sin of pride pride doesn't skip generations pride is in all of us there pride's in a child pride's in a teen pride's in a married person pride's in a divorced person pride's in a widower pride's in a retiree pride doesn't matter pride's in pastors pride's in teachers pride's in business people pride's in retired people listen every one of us struggle with the problem of pride because pride is the root of all sins there we see this man in his conceit. Notice this man was confronted in verses 17 to 18. Azariah the priest went in after him. With him fourscore, 80 priests of the Lord that were valiant men. Thank God for righteous men. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thy honor from the Lord God. They went to him and said, Listen, sir, you can't be burning incense here. God has designated this is to be done by the sons of Aaron. You're not part of that lineage. You, you don't belong here. Sir, and they basically told him, Get out of here. You need to get out of this place. You have no business being in this spot here. And they told him here, listen, get out. And I'm thankful that Azariah took a stand with 80 other priests. They said, listen, we don't care he's the king or not. He doesn't belong here. This is, he has crossed the line. He should not be here doing this. This is a sin against God. And he needs to know it's a sin there. And they confronted him about this situation. These men would not stand for one second. Realizing what this man did. Notice verse 18. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, Ere appertaineth not unto the Uzziah to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron. They told him to get out of the temple. They told him what he was doing was sin. They told him God is not honored by what he was doing. And I want you to stop with me for just a minute and imagine what's going on right now. King Uzziah is being confronted by the high priest and 80 other men. At the moment of time, the Holy Spirit of God, who was limiting his own ministry at that time in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit of God was speaking to that man through the, through the voice of, the, of those priests. And the Holy Spirit of God was speaking to this man's conscience that he needed to get out. He needed to stop what he was doing. He was in sin. They told him, it shall not be for your honor from the Lord. They told him to get out. And many times, as we get into the, 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 the preaching and the teaching of God's word, and I'm just going to be kind of very explicit right now about this. It doesn't matter even if it's the most boring Sunday school teacher. It doesn't matter if it's the most shortest devotion. 
It doesn't matter if the preacher is soft or if he's loud, whether he alliterates or whether he doesn't alliterate. It doesn't really matter there whether he's expository or just topical. It really doesn't matter. When the Word of God is open, the Holy Spirit who takes the seed of the Word takes the seed and desires to plant it in every heart. And as He plants it in the heart, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to reprove us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. A sin because Jesus said they believe not on me. Of righteousness, He said, because I go to the Father and of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. And I'm reminded tonight in 2 Timothy 3, as Paul was writing to Timothy, he was reminding Timothy about the authority of God's word, of the origin of God's word and the authority of God's word. He said, for all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God breathed. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And he says it's profitable. Listen, God does not want any of his words to fall to the ground. It always will accomplish his purpose. He says it's profitable to doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. I'm going to tell you tonight, there's no part of the Bible that's boring. There's no part of the Bible that's that's inadequate. There's no part of the Bible that's irrelevant. Every word of God is pure and relevant for your need and mine tonight. That's why the psalmist can say the word of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple. The statue of the Lord are right, rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is, 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 is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the, and the commandments of the Lord are, are pure, are pure enlightening the eyes. And, and the Bible says, the judge of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And he says, moreover by them is thy servant warned. The keeping of them, there's great reward. Listen, the Holy Spirit takes the word. And this Holy Spirit desires as his ministry, he comes down even upon the Heritage Baptist Church of 2960 Merced Street. And he's descended here tonight. And he's working in our hearts. And his convicting power is ever present, working your heart and mine, trying to help us understand is this an area that i need to get your attention on is this an area that you need to work on is there something here is there a uzziah inside of you that you need to bring before god is there something going on in your life that that you haven't examined carefully are you seeking the lord with all your heart are you desiring god with all your life and here's the thing we have to ask ourselves what is our response when the holy spirit's working do we respond to him or do we resist him do we yield to him or we tell him to go away God's Spirit was working on Uzziah. I want you to go back with me. Notice what's going on with Uzziah. Verse 17, 18, he's confronted. There's no question we read verse 18. They told him exactly, you don't belong here. You're living in sin, man. Get out of here. You've committed a trespass. In fact, the writer of Second Chronicles even said it this way. He said he transgressed against the Lord in one verse. And he said he trespassed against the Lord in another verse. Now, how did he respond? Did he, did he say, you're right? Was he repentant? Was he tenderhearted? Did he say, okay, I'm going to follow what you said. You're right. I need to change that. Was he any of that? Was the story such that he said, he got on his knees and said, oh, I messed up. I'm so sorry. Would you, would you pray for me, for my soul? But we don't read that. We get to verse 19 and this should grieve our hearts. Uzziah was wroth. I mean, he wasn't just ticked off. He just wasn't angry. He, he just wasn't just, I mean, he was filled with wrath. I mean, he had his anger exceeded the boiling point. His anger was at the place where steam was coming off his head. His anger was the place where he wanted retaliation. In fact, at that moment in time, I believe as I read that verse, I believe in his mind he's already thinking, I'm going to throw you and you and you and you in prison. How dare you tell me I've sinned? How dare you tell me I don't belong here? I'm going to put you in prison. In fact, you, Azariah, I'm going to kill you. And by the way, Azariah's name means, means this. Jehovah is strong. Uzziah's name means my strength is from the Lord. 
And it's kind of interesting, God uses Azariah to confront him and tell him, your strength came from God, but Jehovah is strength. And God himself is meeting you right here through the very name Azariah. The very name of Azariah is confronting you about your sin, about your situation. You've got to deal with it right now, son. If you don't deal with it right now, son, you're in big trouble. And here we see this man. He gets angry and he's filled with wrath. He had a sense in his hand to burn incense. I mean, this is where this man's at. He got a sensor and he's already burning the incense. He's going like this. He's, he's burning the incense going around. And he's looking at this. And I think he's thinking about, man, I'm going to throw this thing and whack it upside your head. And Uzziah, uh, or Azariah. The Bible says, while he's wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose in his forehead. You know, there's. When God gave us his word. God told Paul to tell Timothy, preach the word. Now, listen very carefully. Not preach a series that's going to draw people in. Not preach a topic that you're comfortable with. He said, preach the word. Preach the word. If somebody asks you what your church is all about, you should tell them, it just preaches the word. It just preaches the word. And I'll be honest with you tonight. People don't want to hear preaching of the word. Stephen, when he was preaching in Acts 7, they gnashed on him with his teeth. I've seen it here. I've seen other places where they gnashed on me with their teeth. I've seen it. And I've seen that, I've seen tempers rise, and I've seen, I've seen foreheads where lions come on foreheads. They're, mut- they're pretty upset. Because, you know, we're dignified people. You don't tell me I'm a sinner. <laughs> you don't tell me I don't belong here. You don't tell me I can't do what I want to do. And the truth of the matter is, God tells us exactly that you can't do it. And people don't want to hear it, they can't do it. And I'll be honest with you, it hurts. It hurts as a preacher. Sometimes you just have, some things you have to preach on. You say, man, why do I have to bring this? Lord, are you sure you want me to bring this up? And, you know, you bring it up and you, you just think, you go through the week wondering, man, I, you know, what do I do? And the Bible tells us, man, it was marvelously helped. Until he became so strong, he thought he was bigger than God. Ask your question tonight. Does it even cross your mind that you're bigger than God? Or bigger than his word? Or bigger than his authority? Does it even cross your mind? Nobody tells me what to do. I do what I want to do. I make my own rules. And you know what? If we're making our own rules in church... Preacher lays a rule down that's from the word of God or it's to help the flow of the church. And we go contrary to that. You know what that is? That's called rebellion. It's called rebellion. Disobedience to God. On the work side, it'd be insubordination. You know, there are things we do in church. I talk to the deacons a lot about this sometimes. Sometimes with the staff. I said, there are things that go on in church that if, if some of us did those things where we work, we would have been fired a long time ago from our jobs. It's truth. It's truth. He's filled with venomous wrath. James 1.20 For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. When he got strong, he lost his tender heart. When he got strong, he couldn't think straight. 
When he got strong, he couldn't be corrected. When he got strong, he decided nobody's going to get in my way. But when he got strong, God caught up with him too. I wonder tonight as we think about Uzziah being confronted. Is the Lord confronting us tonight? Has he been confronting us for weeks and months? Trying to get our attention on something? I wonder if he's confronting us tonight. And what you notice in verse 19, he's not only confronted, he was not only conceited. But notice verse 19, he was contaminated. Then Uzziah was wroth, and he had a censer in his hand. He was caught red-handed. In fact, he wasn't doing it secretly. He was, he was just out in the open. He censored his hand to burn incense. And while he's wroth the priest, and I imagine he would have probably whacked one of the priests upside the head with that censer. Notice what it says here. This is pretty frightening. The leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priest and the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. Now, you read, you read Leviticus. I don't have time to get into all this tonight. But you read Leviticus. When that leprosy rose in his forehead, that was a sign there. You don't belong in the temple anymore. He was diseased. He was contaminated. His leprosy on the outside indicated he was unclean. His leprosy on the outside indicated the pride and conceitedness on the inside and brought out what was already there. We see this man in his sinful ruin. Would you notice one last thing we're done tonight? We see Uzziah in his successful rise. We see Uzziah in his sinful ruin. But I want you to notice Uzziah in his sobering reflection. There's some things we need to get from this. There's some takeaways beyond just pride. And, and, and you know, if it's any consolation, hey, all of us pro- have a problem with pride. Amen? And we all have a problem with pride. We all have a problem with conceitedness and arrogance. We all have that problem, okay? But I want you to notice some reflections that go a little deeper than the surface there. And the Bible says in verse 20, And as were the chief priests and all the priests, now there were 81 of these men there. So the test, did he have leprosy or not? Every one of them validated each other based upon what was given in Leviticus. They looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And notice this, they thrust him out from thence. You want to underline that tonight. They thrust him out from thence. Yea, he himself hasted to go out because the Lord has smitten him. Notice, if you would, in this verse 20, verse 21, we see the painful discipline. This man would experience the pain of being disciplined because of his pride. He was thrust out. In fact, when he realized what happened, he, didn't, he even realized himself. He was so ashamed, he ran out. And the Bible says, verse 21, very sadly, Uzziah served out the rest of his life. The king, Uzziah the king, was a leper until the day of his death and dwelt in a several house. The several houses where lepers lived. He couldn't come in contact with everyone else. He basically had to live in the equivalent of, of, a, of a leper's colony, except for the fact he was the king. He could not come in contact with other people. And the Bible says, Uzziah the king was a leper to the day of his death and dwelt in a several house, being a leper. For notice this, he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Church discipline 
It's a very painful situation. Where it's given some sins that are listed in 1 Corinthians 5. Where an individual who is a member of a church refuses to have repentance about those sins. And what triggered that in 1 Corinthians 5 was a terrible sin of unrepentant immorality. Where this man and others, as Paul listed in 1 Corinthians 5, refused to repent. And the Bible said this, you're to remove them from the membership and have no fellowship with them. And I want to tell you something tonight, brother and sister in Christ. Church membership is God's will for every saved individual. God's will is you get saved. And after you get saved, you get baptized. Baptism brings you to the church membership. Because being in the church membership, you have the umbrella protection of the local New Testament church over your spiritual life. To be cut off from the church and lose that umbrella protection puts you, at the, if you read 1 Corinthians 5, puts you at risk. You're, you're at risk for multiple terrible attacks from Satan. And I say tonight, if we look at this man, he spent the rest of his life in a miserable condition. His condition was not going to be reverted, would not be changed. In fact, we don't even see in his heart there was any repentance in his heart about changing. He spent the rest of his life cut off from the house of the Lord. He was thrust out from thence. He was diseased for life. He was disciplined for life. But notice, if you would, not only his painful discipline, but notice there's a purifying discernment we get from this. Now, there's a lesson from all this. There are two primary lessons I want us to come away with beyond the pride issue. The life of Uzziah reminds us tonight not to fall like Uzziah did. And I want you to notice, sometimes we'll miss this. Notice verse 22 and 21. 23, excuse me. And 22 especially. It says, now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, there's more to be said. Uzziah's life biography is not done right here in this chapter. There's still more to be said. And verse 22 says, now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first and last, Notice this, did Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, write? So there's a couple of things we have to notice here. There's some things that, that to close off the chapter of this man's life, we've got to look up, what did Isaiah say about this man? Because this, this was so bothersome to Isaiah. And, I, and imagine Isaiah the prophet may have been right there, very close by, or may have even seen, he may have seen the man as leprosy, may have made house calls to him at that several. He saw what happened, and it affected Isaiah during the rest of this term. Because remember, Uzziah was going to reign for 52 years. He lived to 68 years of age. We're not really told what year this happened, was the latter part of his life. And he spent many years, the remainder of his years, whatever they were, in that several house, that leprous house, that equivalent of leprous colony, disease and falling apart, because the leprosy would ultimately lead to, uh, the, from, uh, from, Probably digits falling off his hand and so forth like that. And I call your attention, if you'll go with me tonight, to, to two things here. Go with me in Isaiah chapter 5 and 6, and we're almost done. Isaiah 5 and 6. In Isaiah chapter 5, when, when, when Isaiah writes that, Isaiah, Isaiah was the prophet, Uzziah was king. And he talks about the spiritual condition of Judah at that time. And he compares it to a vineyard that is wasted. And he has some very strong things to say about what was happening because uh, Uzziah basically had let some things slip and he wasn't being very strong in his leadership and his oversight of the land. And he talks about things that go on there that are not very good. And we go through chapter 6 reading this with sorrow of heart as to the judgment of God upon the nation of Judah and Jerusalem, the city. And then we get to chapter 6, verse 1, this very familiar passage of Scripture. In chapter 6, we see Uzziah there, the year that he dies which was talked about, and we just read that in Second Chronicles 26. 
And that year he died, something happened to Isaiah in his devotions. Something happened to Isaiah that helped open his eyes. And I want you to notice, first of all, God gives us discernment from this man's passing. God gives us discernment from this man's death or his passing. It says in chapter 6, verse 1, In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw... He's not talking about anybody else. He's talking about himself only. I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and, his, and, and, and above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly... And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with the smoke. There would be a burial where this man would die. But when he died at that moment, somewhere along the way, Isaiah got a spiritual breakthrough in his life. Because... During that time, he realized there were some things he was not seeing very clearly. As long as there was this sin problem and this pride problem, he wasn't able to see things very clearly. And at that moment when Uzziah died, in the year that he died, God gave him a breakthrough within a period of time. And he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, sitting upon his throne. And he said, I saw the seraphims with their wings covering their faces. And as they were around the throne of God, they were chanting, holy, holy, holy. They were magnifying the greatest attribute of God, his holiness, because all other attributes are an emanation of the holiness of God. They were exalting the holiness of God, something we don't do enough of, something we have no concept of because we are of sinful flesh. We have no concept of what it means to be holy and perfect like God. But they were crying out, holy, holy, holy. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And he said, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. For the first time, when something, somebody died, he was able to see the Lord clearly. He was able to see the Lord clearly in his holiness. He was able to see the Lord clearly for worship. He was able to see the Lord clearly for his life. He was able to see the Lord clearly. He said, in the year the king Uzziah died. Now here's my thought I want to give you, the discernment for his passing. Sin gets in the way of everything. Sin gets in the way of everything. Sin sets us back. Sin keeps us from seeing the Lord. Sin keeps us from seeing the glory. Sin keeps us from seeing how to worship God. Sin keeps us from seeing our prayers answered. Sin keeps us from seeing fruit in our lives. Something or somebody needs to die if we want to see the Lord. Something or somebody has to die if we want to see the Lord in His holiness. Something or somebody needs to die if we want to see holy men and be holy men. Something or somebody needs to die if the Lord's work is to go forward. Something or somebody needs to die if men are to be called to preach. Listen, if you're living in sin and you can't let go of some sin, you've got some weight or besetting sin holding you back... There comes a time you've got to die to self. You've got to say this old flesh must die for I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Something or somebody needs to die if men are to be called to preach. Something or somebody has to die if our devotions are going to come alive. Are you at a place in your life in the middle of summer? Your devotions are dry. Your prayer is going nowhere. The Bible reading is not happening. Something or somebody needs to die. Are you at a place in your life where your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. You're at a place in your life, you've lost your boldness for Jesus Christ. You're at a place in your life, you're losing joy for being under the preaching of God's word or being in God's house. Something or somebody needs to die to get all that back for God's glory. At that moment of time when Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. I lifted up. I'll be honest tonight, beloved. 
something, somebody inside of us needs to die. We need to die to self. We need to die to sin. We need to die to our appetites. We need to die to our pride. We need to die to our conceitedness. We need to die to our arrogance. We need to die to slothfulness. We need to die to prayerlessness. We need to die to our lusts. We need to die to the besetting sins and weights, which Jesus says they need to die. God gives us discernment from his passing. Then what you notice with me tonight, Psalms chapter 16, Psalms chapter 19, and we're done. Go with me to Psalms 19, please, tonight. I want you to see one more thing. We're looking at some sobering reflections. First thing, God gives us discernment from his passing. Secondly, God gives us discernment on what to pray. Do you notice verses 12 and 13? Actually, 12, 13, 14 with me tonight. We're done. The David was talking about God's word in the previous verses. Then he asked this question. Who can understand his errors? Do you even, do you know, when you make decisions, does, do they make sense? Do some of the decisions you make, they make sense? If you have a sin issue you're dealing with in your life that nobody knows about you and God, I mean, do you even ask yourself the question, why am I doing this? Why am I like this? Why is my attitude bad? Why is I don't have the joy of the Lord? Why is I don't like to be around people? And he said this question, he asked this question, who can understand his errors? Then he says something I think he said with tears in his eyes and shaking his voice, cleanse thou me from secret faults. Then he prayed this prayer in verse 13. This is our prayer, which we close tonight. Keep back thy servant also from what kind of sins? When's the last time you confess sins of presumption? Sin of conceitedness and pride. Presuming you deserve it. You belong there. It's yours. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. You know what David's saying here? I know how weak I am. And when he's saying let them not have dominion over me, what he was really saying is, God, they already control, pride controls me big time. Lord, I need help. I need help from my pride, Lord. He says, keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Notice that. What's the great transgression? The great transgression is when pride is at a place in your life that you just feel like, you know what? No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm unstoppable. I'm not going to change. I'm in control. I'm God. I'm this. I'm that. It's all about me. It's not about God. The great transgression. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, Accept from thy sight, O Lord, my strength, my redeemer. Tonight we've seen the rise and the fall of a man whose name means Jehovah is my strength. He was confronted by a man whose name means Jehovah is strong. And it really comes down to this. It's a battle of the wills. It's a battle of who's, who's going to be number one. And I suggest tonight that just as it happened with Isaiah in the year the king Uzziah died, Something inside of us needs to die. Something needs to be crucified. Ye then be risen with Christ. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not things here. For you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. Lester Roloff used to say this all the time when people said something very offensive. They said, Brother Roloff, does that bother you? He says, you can't hurt a dead man. And tonight, 
might be this evening that the flesh needs to be crucified. Something inside of us needs to die so that we can see things more clearly. We see the rise and the fall of Uzziah. Maybe said of us tonight that we won't let sin keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins, neither let them have dominion over me. Our Father, tonight, thank you this evening for the study on King Uzziah. And it uh, starts off as a great study as we look at his successful rise. Our Lord, as long as he sought the Lord, he was strong. Lord, I read those verses and think about his inventions, his ingenuity, how he inspired others. I mean, just what a great kingdom he had. And then to read in the middle of that whole chapter, he was marvelously helped until he was strong. And then, Lord, he lifted up his heart in the wrong way before you. And Father, you help us tonight, first in dealing with our obedience, our submission to God, our following the Lord. Lord, I know last week we looked at this man's father, Amaziah, and we saw the sin of pride. But, Lord, we battle with pride every day, all throughout the day. And, God, we ask tonight you'd help crucify our flesh this matter of pride. The Bible says that pride is one of the six things that you hate and seven that are an abomination to God. And help us, Lord, more than anything else, that we would get discernment from the passing of this man, that we would have the flesh crucified so we can see the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up where his train fills the temple. Lord, even help us tonight even to hear the voices of those, the beautiful singing of the seraphims as they cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Fathers, I give the invitation. Help us let go of our pride and come with a spirit of humility to the altar where we're seated to find our place there tonight, that, Lord, you'd have your way. May, God, we get release. May we see a breakthrough. May we see power for our lives. These things we commit to you and pray for now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's stand, if you would, as the pianist plays. If you need to come tonight, join me at the altar this evening. Find your place at the altar. Find your place at your seat. You need to come tonight. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Pride is a struggle. We struggle with it all the time. Just the fact that we don't even want to admit that we're sinners, that's pride. But let's ask God to give us deliverance tonight. Seek him out this evening. It's a great prayer that David prayed. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Who can stand, understand his errors? Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from my faults. Father, tonight we thank you for your congregation. Good turnout of our folks tonight. We know there are many still on vacation. Protect those on vacation. We pray that, God, you give them the rest and replenishment they need physically as well as spiritually. And tonight, Lord, help.